Well, good morning, and it's good to be with you again today. Today we have the privilege of hearing God's word from the director of missions from the Mid Valley SBC. Greg Kilgore has been a friend for a couple years, and he's taking this role probably about a year ago. And Greg was a former pastor, and he is a professor, and he does lots of different things. And not only is he a friend, but he's also a great example to his community. He's in Oakhurst now and moving down to the valley soon. Um, his wife and kids, his church, the people that are in the association, the other pastors that know him well, all speak so highly of Greg. Greg is not only a friend, but also our, uh, our liaison to the SBC, and he provides great resources to me in times that I'm like, what do I do about this? I'll text Greg and say, what do I do? And if Greg knows, he'll give me some feedback, or otherwise he'll say, let me reach out and find some other pastors that have been through something similar or have had similar situations. So not only in terms of friendship, but in terms of resources, uh, in terms of wisdom, I'm thankful to have Greg as a friend, and I'm thankful that you're here today. So Greg, come on up. Well, thank you, Pastor Brandon, and, and uh, thank you, Saints, here at Grace Community in Madeira. Uh, as Pastor Brandon mentioned, I am uh, starting in a new role, uh, serving a, a, a ministry network that maybe you didn't know you were a part of, but now today you have no excuse to not know. Uh, your church is a part of the Mid-Valley Southern Baptist Association. So think of us as a network, a, a family of, of like-minded uh, brother and sister churches here in uh, Fresno County, Madera County and part of Kings County. And so I bring with myself greetings from about 65 other like-minded churches to you here this morning. And uh, I, I would just like to say uh, my family has felt so welcome this morning. Uh, I started this role back in October. And so uh, I have not moved down to Fresno yet. And we haven't found our home church in Fresno. So we are going around every single week to try and visit all 65 of our churches. We've been to about 35 so far. And uh, so it's been a crazy, crazy season for our young family. But we have felt so welcome here. Uh, we've showed up to some churches and nobody has even said hello to us. But I, I think we've had a dozen people say hello to us, ask us who we are. And uh, so thank you. And I just want to encourage you in that. Uh, keep that up. Continue to be welcoming to those who, who you might not know or you're getting to know uh, who are showing up here for the first time. So uh, I get the joy and privilege of serving uh, our network of churches here in the Central Valley. I grew up in the Central Valley. I'm one of those weird people that actually loves living in the Central Valley. Uh, so I'm excited that the Lord has allowed me to continue serving our churches in this area. Just something that you might not uh, know that you were a part of, but uh, an encouragement for your church. Uh, because of your partnership with us, you were able to bless a church plant in Sanger. Uh, this church plant is, is called Set Free Sanger, and they have a ministry to addicts. They get addicts off the street, they detox them, and then they train them up, they disciple them, they share the gospel with them. Uh, one day I got to go to downtown Fresno with them in their van, and they just roll up to places in downtown Fresno where there's camps, and they ask people if they want to get clean, and they pray for them, and then they take them, and then they disciple them. But they have to be willing to go. They don't just kidnap them for Jesus. Um, sometimes, I don't know, maybe they get accused of doing that. 
But through the generosity of your church here and our other churches in our network, we were able to bless uh, Set Free Sanger with a wireless microphone. Now, that doesn't sound like that big of a deal to, to some of our churches because they have just closets full of wireless microphones. But to a church who is, whose main uh, ministry is to addicts and people off the streets, that was a huge deal. So I just want to praise you and thank you for your generosity and being a part of our ministry family together. Well, uh, one of the greatest ways that, that I can serve you is now this morning is by turning your attention to God's Word. And so if you are able to, would you please turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, and uh, we'll actually begin reading in verse 13. 1 Kings 19 verse 13. And if you are able to, would you please stand in order to honor the reading of the words of our God. So 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll begin reading in verse 13 and read on down to the end of the chapter. So 1 Kings uh, 19, we'll begin reading in verse 13. Stand with a sense of honor. This is God's word to us this morning. God's word says, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahala, you shall anoint to be prophet in your, in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah, Elisha put to death. Yet I leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Verse 19, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now this morning and God, we thank you for your perfect word that, that points us to the, the life that is ultimately found in your son, Jesus Christ alone. And Lord, we thank you that through your word, you have called us to follow you. Lord, I, I pray that, that you would be honored and that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word this morning so that everyone might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. What does it cost to follow the call? What does it cost to follow the call of the one true and living God? The Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 13, verse 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. 
Jesus is saying, in order to follow him, one must, uh, this field, he's using this, this picture, this illustration of the cost it takes to follow him. He says it's like someone selling all to go and buy something. Look, friends, if you were to go out in a field uh, this afternoon after church and, and, and you found some treasure hidden in the field, would you go and sell all that you have and buy that land? No, I think most of you would likely just take that treasure and run off, right? Especially with the cost of real estate in California. But friends, Jesus is using that picture to show us the cost that it takes to follow him. So what is it going to cost you to follow Jesus? What is it going to cost you to follow the, fall, the, the, the call of the Lord, to follow the call of the Lord Jesus Christ on your life this morning? Friends, Jesus warns his followers up front that following him is not easy. It's costly. It requires full and total commitment to him. So what will it cost you to follow his call on your life? For some of you, that, that cost will be comfort. For some of you, it may be your reputation. For some, it, it may cost you everything, even your life. But friends, what are you willing to give up to answer God's call? In our text here in 1 Kings 19, we, we see this picture of the God who calls. And, and what we're going to see in these verses is this call to follow and the cost to follow. We're going to see the God who calls and we're going to see the call to follow and the cost to follow him. Here in our text in 1 Kings 19, uh, in the Old Testament, what's going on, the, the context, the historical context is it's the time of the kings in Israel and Judah. There's two different kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Israel, there's the kingdom of Judah, and they're ruled by kings that are often not leading the people to righteousness and to following the Lord faithfully. Rather, they're leading the people further and further and further into sin. And here at this time, uh, Ahab and his wife Jezebel are ruling the kingdom of Israel. And what God was doing in this time is he was raising up prophets to, to preach the word to the people so that they would call them back to faithfulness to the Lord, call them back to the covenant that God had made them. And so we're going to see in this text, we saw in this text, this call of a new prophet. We see Elijah is now calling Elisha to follow him. So we're going to see what it's costing Elisha to follow the call of God on his life. And friends, as we're looking at this costly call on Elisha's life, I want you to also be thinking about on your own life, are you willing to follow the one true God even if it is costly, even if it costs you everything. In, in, in this passage in 19, right before this actually, you have sort of the height of Elijah's ministry. You have him on Mount Carmel and, and what he's doing is, is, is there, there's a test going on. Is, is God true or is Baal true? Who is the true God? God answers through fire. He, he, he burns all of these sacrifices. It's sort of the height of, of Elijah's ministry. But right after that, uh, Jezebel says, well, now I'm going to kill you. And so he, he flees for his life and he enters into sort of this spiritual this depression that you can read about at the end of, of 18 and, and the beginning of 19. God's word came to Elijah and he told Elijah to do what? As we read in verse 15, he basically says, you need to begin to plan for the future. 
He's going to prepare for the future and he's going to go and anoint three people. He's going to anoint two kings. One, the next king of Syria, and then the next king of Israel. And then he's going to anoint the next prophet to take up this ministry to God's people. In other words, he's telling him to prepare the way for the future. And so here we see this call now that God is placing on the, 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 the one who's going to take Elijah's place in verse 19. Look with me at verse 19. It says, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12. Elijah passed him and put his cloak, passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. Well, friends, Elisha's call began back in verse 16 that we had already read at the beginning of this sermon, where, where God was calling Elijah to go to Elisha and anoint him to be the next prophet in his place. When uh, Elijah was discouraged with this sort of depression that he was going through in the previous verses, he's thinking on the one hand, Elijah is thinking that his ministry is over. This woman Jezebel wants to kill him. He can't show his face in public anymore. His ministry is done. He's saying everybody, he's complaining, everybody has forsaken the Lord except for me. I'm the only one left. But God graciously met him and spoke to him and restored him. And he gave Elijah a plan to prepare for the future. And the future began with this call of Elisha. So Elijah's going to call him, he's gonna call Elisha don't get those two mixed up. And if I mix them, I'm sure you're smart enough to figure out who I'm talking about. But Elijah is now going to call Elisha to serve with him and learn underneath him, learn from him. Elijah goes, he does as he's told, and he finds Elisha. But notice where he had to go to. He had to go to that word that I mispronounced as I read in verse 16 to Abel Mahala, which, in verse, which is found in verse 16. And for any of you who are, are very astute with, with the uh, geography of Israel, basically that's the Jordan Valley. Now who rules that land in the, time of Elijah, in, in the time of Elijah? It's Ahab. Ahab and his wonderful wife, Jezebel, who had put out a bounty on Elijah's head. And what we see is sort of this beautiful picture of, of God intervening in Elijah's life. He thought his ministry was over. He's thinking, there's a bounty on my head. I can't continue this ministry. I'm done. But God meets him and he says, you're not done. You need to prepare for the future. My word is going to continue to come and confront the people. And now it's your turn to prepare the next man to replace you. And so he goes and he, he risks his life. He willingly goes. He travels all the way back to the land where he is hated, where the most powerful figure in the kingdom wants him dead. But he goes and he obeys. And he finds Elisha. He passes by him. He casts his cloak upon Elisha and he continues going. Well, when you read that, that's kind of an interesting phrase, right? That's kind of an interesting uh, picture that we have here. An interesting way to call someone to take up your place. The Bible doesn't even record Elijah saying anything to Elisha. You know, think of it, friends. If you were out uh, mowing your lawns this evening or, or, or sometime this week and somebody comes by and they puts their jacket on you and they keep going, what would you do? 
you would be absolutely confused, right? What in the world is going on? Well, not after today. Now you would know what they're calling you to do. What is happening here is this symbolic action. The symbolic action of where we get the phrase, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, they're taking up someone's mantle? Basically, that's where this, that expression, that phrase comes from here. This taking up someone's mantle, they're wearing their mantle. It comes from this action. It's symbolic of them saying, you are going to be my successor. You are now taking my place to follow in my footsteps. And so in other words, what Elijah is doing to Elisha is he is asking him, he is calling him, he is saying, you are going to follow me now. Are you going to answer that call? And that's the same question for every single one of us here this morning. Are you going to answer the call to follow? In, in, in the scriptures, in, in the Old Testament and New Testament, there are, are a number of ways in which the word, the term call or calling is used. Uh, all throughout the scriptures. And uh, we're gonna look at just kind of three today, uh, real briefly. In one sense, there is this general call, and then there is an effective call, and then there is calling. And we'll unpack those in the next couple of moments. So this general call that's often used in the scriptures. And a general call is the call of the gospel going forth to the whole world, right? Going out to all, where we as believers, we are given that task to take the gospel to all nations, to call others to respond in faith, to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life that none of us have lived, that Jesus Christ died his death on the cross, the death that every single one of us deserves to die, but he didn't stay dead. Rather, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. That's the message, the call that is given, that is spread out to the world in a general sense. Scripture also talks about a specific call or an effective call, or, or we could say a saving call. That, that's where, uh, for instance, Paul in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 30, he says, those whom God has predestined, he has called. And those whom he has called, he has also justified. And those whom he has justified, he has also glorified. In other words, this is the call of God in which he is calling you to salvation. And you place your faith in Christ and you are saved. Second uh, Thessalonians, Paul also says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through, thanks, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a general call, there's a specific effective saving call in which God brings his people to saving faith. That means that God's call is effective in the lives of his people where they hear his voice and they respond in faith. And brothers and sisters, I know every Sunday that saving call of God is being proclaimed here. In fact, it's being proclaimed right now at this very moment to either return to God, to serve him, to respond in faith to him, to serve him with all of your heart, to repent and trust in him, to leave your sins and come to God through faith in Christ and do not turn back. Brothers and sisters, every single person here this morning, friend, if you are here this morning and you have not, if you have not responded to that saving call of God upon your life, do not leave these doors here this morning without knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, without repenting of your sins and placing your hope 
for salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Friends, have you answered that call? And then we also see in the scriptures, as we see specifically here in 1 Kings 19, this idea of calling. Uh, another way in, in, in which uh, calling or call is used is sort of this sense of calling as in God is calling you for a specific purpose. God is calling you to do some specific task or some work. And we often ask, you know, what is your calling? What is your purpose? As in God has called me to do this. Uh, God has called me specifically to serve in our association, to serve as a husband, to serve as a follower. There are various callings that God has on each and every one of your lives. So God has called some to go to uh, be missionaries, to be doctors, to be business owners, to be farmers, to, to work in various fields. So think of calling as your work or your vocation. And so here in 1 Kings, God is calling Elisha to the prophetic ministry to continue declaring his word and calling his people to repentance. And friends, in a big picture sense, God has a calling for every single one of us. God has a calling that is specific for you to do. And I think sometimes in the church, we, we get this messed up in the church. We think that calling only refers to those who are going to serve as pastors or missionaries, elders or, or, or deacons. And we would say, yes, they are all called, absolutely. But every single believer is called to the, do the work of the ministry together. Friends, whatever your vocation, whatever your job is, maybe you're a student, whatever that is, God has, whatever place God has placed you in to pay the bills, you are called to be salt and light in that sphere. Whether it's at school, whether it's in retail, whether it's in real estate, ag, or retirement. We are all called to serve the Lord and glorify him and do the work of the ministry together. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 through 14, he talks about how God has given the church specific leaders in the church, and they are to do what? They are to, uh, they are to equip, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 12 says that the leaders in the church are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So friend, believer here this morning, you are called to the ministry. No matter what pays the bills week in and week out, every single one of you is called to the work of the ministry here. Believers are all called to the ministry in a general sense. But there is, as I mentioned, there is a specific calling that God does place on people in the church. Or as we see in the Old Testament, this specific calling that God placed on Elijah's life is now going to be placed on Elisha's life. There are certain times in scripture where we see God setting people apart to serve in ministry full time. You think of Paul and Barnabas being set aside at Antioch in Acts chapter 13. Or, or either they're set apart to serve a local church or internationally to serve as missionaries. Maybe some of you right now, God is calling to serve in that specific way. Maybe he's calling you to serve your church as, as a leader in some capacity. Maybe God is calling you overseas to serve as a missionary. How do you know if that is the case? 
I, I love the way uh, William Perkins, he was a, a Puritan pastor in the late 1500s in, in England. He put it this way. How do you know if God is calling you specifically to one of those callings to serve the church, either here or globally? He says, how can you know for yourself whether God would want you to go into full-time ministry or not? You must ask both your own conscience and the church. Your conscience must judge of your willingness and the church of your ability. In one sense, there must be this internal desire within yourself and this external confirmation of that call by the church. And friends, if that is something that you are thinking about today, you're thinking about maybe God is calling me into some sort of specific ministry to serve his church locally, globally, statewide, or, or internationally. I, I know your pastor, Brandon, would love to talk to you about that. I know the elders here would love to talk to you and disciple you and walk alongside you with what that might mean for you specifically. I'd love to talk to you as well of how you can serve uh, in, in our association, in our counties, and the surrounding areas. But I know some of you are probably thinking, well, that's not for me. I know God's not called me to that. Are you certain? Are you sure? Why not you? If you talk to your pastor and elders and, and, and just express that desire to them, I'm sure they would love to shepherd you and walk alongside what that would look like specifically for you. So we see this call to follow in these verses, in verses 19 and 20. And, and then now as we, as we go to, to, to the end of verse 20 and 21, we're going to see, do you hear this call? The cost of following Jesus. Elisha, he recognizes that symbolic action that Elijah is taking upon him. And, and, and he, he recognizes that call to follow and he recognizes that it was going to be costly. Look with me at, at the end of verse 20. He said to him, go back again for what have I to do to you? Verse 21. And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So Elisha recognizes that call and he recognizes that call was going to be costly. Why do I say that that call was going to be costly? Well, why do I say that? Well, we'll look at how many oxen Elisha had. You see that? He had 12 oxen. There he is. He is plowing one day, right? He's plowing with his 12 oxen. He has everything he wants. He has power. He has land. He has wealth. He has 12 oxen. That means that he is wealthy. It would be somewhat similar to a farmer having 12 tractors. He has a big operation. But then God calls him and he responds. And it's a costly calling. He will leave behind all of that power, all of that wealth to do what? He's gonna serve as Elijah's servant for 18 years. You know, you can almost see a couple years down the line, uh, Elisha's parents, he's, you know, they're, they're, they're sitting there, they're, they're talking with their friends, their neighbors, their family, and, and their friends saying, well, you know, I'm so proud of my son. He has the best olive orchard in all of the Jordan Valley. Well, hey, what about you, Shaphat? What's your son Elisha doing? Oh, he's off washing Elijah the prophet's clothes and he's washing his hands. You know, I wonder when Elisha is called here, I wonder if his parents maybe tried to talk him out of it. 
I wonder if his parents tried to talk him out of that call of God on his life. You know, how often that happens today. I, I, I've, I've experienced and I've seen uh, many pastors who feel called to the ministry, many young people who are willing to, 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 to sacrifice everything and go serve the Lord, whether it be locally, internationally, but then their parents hear of it. And, and they try to talk them out of it. They, they express that desire to their parents and the, the, their parents uh, want to, they, they become angered, they want to disown them or they threaten them, they discourage them from that calling. Parents, grandparents here this morning, would you rather have your children close to you in proximity but far from serving the Lord? Or would you rather have your children serving the Lord faithfully overseas? One of my uh, favorite missionaries that I love to read about is, is Adoniram Judson. He's one of the first missionaries that was sent out from America to go and preach the gospel uh, uh, to uh, Burma. And uh, he's one of the first Baptist missionaries sent out from America. And, and I love the story surrounding his marriage proposal. He, was, he met this young woman by the name of Anne. And uh, a month after he met him, I mean, after he met her, uh, after he met Anne, he wrote a letter to Anne's father asking if he could marry her. All the while, Adoniram knew that he was being called to serve overseas. And so uh, after uh, he asked her as well if he could marry her, uh, she says, you need to talk to my father. And so he writes this letter. Maybe you've heard of this letter before, but this is a letter that Adoniram uh, writes to his future father-in-law. He says, I have now to ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure or her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, to insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this? in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her, her savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Can you imagine receiving a marriage proposal letter like that? How many of us would be so reluctant to let our children go? If you don't have kids yet, uh, you, you, or, or if you have you know, uh, uh, nieces or nephews, how reluctant so many of us would be, uh, would be in this situation. How many of us would allow our children to go in that situation knowing that we would never see them again? Anne's uh, father, uh, his friend said, I'd rather lock my daughter uh, up than let her go. But uh, her father said, it's your decision to make. And so Anne married Adoniram and she would die on the missions field and he would never see her again on earth. But he understood that the mission that God had given to his people of declaring the gospel to the ends of the earth was too important to keep to themselves or to keep and hoard up his daughter because. And that mission and that gospel needs to not be hoarded up and kept here, but needs to be declared here and to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, it is a costly call to follow the Lord Jesus.
So Elisha, he understands that it's costly, but then he asks this kind of interesting question in verse 20, back 1 Kings 19, verse 20. He says, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. Now, there are some who question whether or not Elisha's commitment was, 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 was real here. Well, because of what Jesus says in Luke 9. If you want to turn your, your Bibles with me, the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, you, you see that there's a similar account with Jesus calling someone to follow him. There's some who are saying, well, we think Elisha might actually be wavering in his commitment to follow Elijah. Look with me at, at Luke uh, uh, chapter 9, and uh, we'll begin reading uh, in verse 57. Luke 9, the cost of following Jesus, 957. As they were going along the road, someone said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the, bed, the, the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What do you think? Do you think Elisha was wavering in his commitment in 1 Kings 19 based off of what Jesus is, is saying there in Luke 9? I, I don't think so. Because Elisha goes back and contrasted to this, this man in Luke 9, the, contrast this call to Jesus' call in Luke 9 is, is, is the fact that he goes back and he sacrifices everything. And I think also what Jesus is doing in Luke 9 is he is alluding to 1 Kings 19 and he's actually saying someone greater than Elijah is here. Jesus is saying that my call demands immediate following. That, that following Jesus is the most important call in the world. There is nothing more important than the call to follow Jesus. And I think that's the point that Jesus is making in Luke 9. The point he's making is that he is greater than all of the other Old Testament prophets. It's also likely that Elijah knew exactly where Elisha's heart was. Jesus definitely knew where that man's heart was in Luke 9. And so Jesus is saying, look, I am greater than all of the others. And so thus my call must be responded to right now at this very moment. The one whom all of the prophets in the Old Testament were pointing to was here. Jesus had arrived and he's saying, my call demands immediate response. I also don't think Elisha's heart was wavering as we go back to 1 Kings 19, because what does he do? Elisha doesn't go back and he's not asking for more time. No, no, he goes back to sever all of the ties to his old life. Elisha goes back and what does he do? It says he sacrifices his oxen and he uses the plow as firewood. In one sense, he throws a barbecue, right? You almost smell the barbecue brisket or the tri-tip right there as he is, uh, is uh, blessing the people around him. But why does he do that? Why does Elisha do that? Why does he sacrifice his oxen and burn his plow? Because it's, it's a symbolic act of his total commitment. 
It's a symbolic act of his total commitment that he has decided to follow and there's no turning back. Elisha is saying, I'm willing to give up everything. I'm willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of following God's will for my life. But friend, what about you? What are you willing to leave behind? Home, family, jobs, reputation. God may ask you to do something like this and go to the ends of the earth. Just like he has asked one of your former, former pastors to do, right? Pastor Mark, who's gone to serve the nations. God may ask you to go and do this, but he also may ask you to stay and do this. Here in California, we need the gospel. We need the hope of the gospel. Uh, I, I get so discouraged when I hear Christians say they want to flee California. No, we can't, we can't leave behind the missions field that God has called us to here. Now, if you have family in Tennessee or Texas and you want to go move, I'm not saying you can't. But consider what God is calling you to do. God is calling you to serve him wherever that may be. But I hope for most of you, it's gonna be here in California because we need the hope of the gospel here and we cannot abandon the gospel outposts that God has in this state. I always say Paul wanted to go to Rome. He didn't wanna flee from it. And California is our Rome. So may you serve the Lord faithfully here or wherever he is going to send you. You know, a couple of times a year, the International Missions Board, which is the missions board through the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, has a sending celebration. Uh, one of your previous pastors, Pastor Mark, got, got to, uh, he, I believe he was a part of that. But in one week from this Tuesday in New Orleans, uh, my wife and I are gonna be there, uh, there's gonna be 90 new missionaries that are gonna be celebrated and commissioned and sent out to the gospel, uh, to, to do the gospel work all over the world. I love those sending celebrations because that's a reminder of the work that needs to be done all over the world. And, and you get to hear the stories of these 90 missionaries. You can uh, likely look it up. If you look up IMB sending celebration next Tuesday, uh, you, they'll live stream it. You could watch it. I love hearing the stories of these missionaries who are being sent out all over the world. So many of them sacrificing so much to answer the call of God upon their life. And that service just always wrecks me. I, I love that service because it's a beautiful picture of why we work together as a family of churches to spread the gospel here and to the ends of the earth. But friend, what about you? What are you willing to sacrifice? When was the last time you were inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel? Notice Elisha's full and total commitment. He sacrifices the oxen. He burns the plow. He is fully committed. He's not saying, I'm gonna try this and, and see maybe if this thing works out for me. He's not saying, I'll just keep the, the plow in my garage and in, in case I come back and I need it again someday. No, he's burning the plow as a sign of his full commitment that he's going to follow God no matter what happens. And you know, when Jesus calls us to follow after him, you can't say, I'll just try this Jesus thing for a little bit and see if it works out for me. No, no, no. Friends, that's not faith. That's not faith. That's not commitment. 
you are either fully committed to Jesus or you are not committed to him. There is no partial commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So have you burned the plow to follow him? What's it gonna cost you? What will it cost you to follow Jesus? You know, uh, when you get a medication, there's always the fine print, right? Or uh, maybe you, you watch TV and you see those ads for some medication and then there's that voice that lists out all of the different side effects, the fine print, right? Or they put it on the screen and you can't even read it, uh, even with an 80 inch TV. There's all that fine print. And what you find out oftentimes, the side effects can be just as bad as the prescription, right? No, not always. Or maybe there's a free rebate, but then the fine print says that you have to pay for shipping, which costs more than the free item itself. And so it wipes out all the savings, right? How often the fine print gets us. The fine print, we always get blindsided by the fine print, but not with Jesus. Jesus boldly declares the fine print to you. Jesus doesn't have any fine print that's hidden when it comes to being his disciple. There is no fine print when it comes to Christianity. He is up front from the very beginning. Do you not see what Jesus says in the scriptures? Do you not see the commitment that, that, that is on display here in 1 Kings 19 and, and in Luke 9? And all throughout the scripture, Jesus says following him is going to cost you. It will cost you everything to follow him. And he is upfront about that. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise that it doesn't cost anything to follow Jesus. It takes wholehearted devotion to follow him faithfully. So what will it cost you? J.C. Ryle, he was a, a pastor in the 1800s in England. He, he put it this way. He says, it costs something to be a true Christian. Let that never be forgotten. To be a mere nominal Christian, to just go to church, that is cheap and easy work. But to hear Christ's voice and follow Christ and believe in Christ and confess Christ, that requires much self-denial. It will cost us our sins. It will cost us our self-righteousness. It will cost us our ease and our worldliness. All, all must be given up. We must fight an enemy who comes against us with 20,000 followers. We must build a tower in troubled times. Our Lord Jesus would have us thoroughly understand this and count the cost. Friends, Jesus' own call from the scriptures to count the, cross, to count the cost is not easy, friends, but it's worth it. It will cost a lot, but it will be worth it. Think of what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I, I love the hymn, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Uh, we listened to that like 20 times this morning. My wife asked me if I was going to mention it in the sermon today. Uh, she, she knows me well enough that, yes, I tend to do that. But I love the way that hymn ends. It ends with this phrase, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Friends, have you heard the call and have you burned the plow? Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you that you have not left us in this world without hope. Lord, you have not left us 
in our sin, but you have allowed a way for us to come to saving faith through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that if there are any here this morning who have not responded to that call, the call of Christ going out, that they would do so today, that they would repent of their sins, that they would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would see that they cannot do any amount of good works to earn their salvation, but that hope for salvation is only found in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that they would not leave here this morning without knowing Jesus Christ as their hope in life and death. Father, I pray that if there are any here this morning who are wrestling through maybe what you might, calling them, might be calling them to do. Lord, as, as, as students are graduating and thinking about what's next, Lord, may you give them a clarity on what you would have them do, whether it's serving your church here locally or, or internationally, that you would lead them and guide and direct their steps and that they would be faithful to respond to that call no matter how costly it may be. Father, I pray for the leaders of this church here that, that, that they would, would, would be wise in shepherding through how to, 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 uh, to help people wrestle and discern what your plan and their call, your call is upon their lives. Lord, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that even though it is costly to follow you, we have hope of eternity through your son, Jesus Christ, who defeated the grave, who defeated sin and death. Father, I pray your blessing upon your church here at Grace Community that this would continue to be a faithful gospel outpost, that the good news of Jesus Christ would continue to be declared here and to the ends of the earth. And we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.